Jersey number 62 is the topic of this episode, and we have Joe Ziemba, the author of When Football Was Football, joining us to talk about one of the number 62s, a very famous player who was not an offensive or defensive lineman. Find out who this is and more coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with their tunes, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and welcome to another bonus edition of the Football by Numbers series. And tonight, we are talking about jersey number 62, the greatest players in NFL history that wore that jersey 62. And I've got some great help again. Our old friend Joe Ziemba is back once again. I think I have to get him a time card here in the pig pen. Uh, Joe Ziemba, welcome back to the pig pen. Darren, thank you so much. Your shows are always uh, such a delight to participate in. And uh, thank you again for having me on the program. Oh, well, thank you. We just enjoy your knowledge and uh, expertise that you bring in and uh, really entertain us here. So we're we're looking forward to some great uh, Joe Ziemba stories. No pressure now. No pressure. Okay. Look out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Joe, uh, how's everything going with the When Football Was Football podcast? Podcasts are going uh, going great. We, we have some interesting things coming up right now. Currently, depending on when this show airs, we have a program on Jimmy Councilman, who was the last coach to lead the Cardinals to the NFL championship. Unfortunately, that was in 1947. So it's been a little bit of a drought for the team. In the near future, we're going to cover what what training camps. What happened during training camps way back when? Uh, which should be fun. And then uh, looks like we're also going to do a little mini history on the college all-star game, which normally would take place every August in Chicago in front of crowds of over 100,000 people. So it was the Super Bowl before there was a Super Bowl. Yeah, that was an interesting series. Uh, I, I know I, I think we covered all of those uh, last year in our football history headlines, at least getting, you know, who won, who lost, who played uh, the MVPs. And I, that's really I only remember the very end of them. I was pretty young when they when they stopped playing. But uh, of course, the Steelers were in the last couple, I believe, at least the last one they were in, in 76 as the so, Super yeah. Bowl champions played. That was, What an interesting dynamic that was. That, uh, it's too bad they, they can't continue that anymore. Yeah, I, I guess I understand why it had to be discontinued with the fear that your top draft choice might get his legs cut out from under him, uh, insurance policies, lawsuits, etc. cetera. Um, but it sure was fun while it lasted, I guess. Yeah, well, even the NFL you know, championship teams, they were they were playing their starters most of the time. It wasn't like a, a preseason game is today where you know the guys trying to make the squad are playing. Uh, it was, those starters played quite a bit, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they did. It was such a prestige thing that the old pros couldn't stand the thought of being knocked off by a bunch of rookie college players. But the collegians were very successful in the early years until things uh, were righted the correct way, according to the NFL. So it made for a, quite an entertaining series. 
Yeah, yes, it did. So I'm looking forward to that uh, podcast episode. Now, I, I listened to to your Konzelman one the other day, and I thought I knew a lot about Konzelman until you, you really caught me with a bunch of surprises. I'm like, wow, you know, that's, that's very interesting. I didn't, I learned a lot from that. So I encourage the listeners to, uh, even if you think you've read a lot about uh, Jimmy Konzelman and know about his career, to listen to Joe's podcast on Konzelman because it's very interesting and very enlightening. So well done. No, well, thank you very much, Darren. That's always appreciated, especially coming from you. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's how good of a source that is, but uh, well, we'll take it for, for what it's worth there. <laughs> well, Joe, we have a, a tall task tonight. Uh, we have the Jersey 62s. It's uh, filled with the big guys in, in the trenches. And um, the fo- Pro Football Hall of Fame is where we usually start. And you and I were both there. We got to meet in person uh, just a couple weeks ago. And they tell us that there are two players uh, that are enshrined in uh, Canton, Ohio. And they are Jim Langer and Charlie Trippi, uh, two great players sort of on the opposite of the spectrums. And uh, I guess uh, Charlie Trippi defeats my theory of uh, having the guys in the trenches. Yeah, Charlie Trippi was a backfield star of the Chicago Cardinals. So this is a subject close to my heart anyway. Uh, played for several years, halfback, quarterback, um, ran the ball, passed the ball, received the ball, and, of course, played on defense as well. And he was an all-star, uh, a pro bowler twice, uh, won the NFL championship in 47, which we just alluded to. Charlie Trippi scored a pair of touchdowns in that game in a 28-21 to win over the Eagles in 1947 for Coach Councilman, he was also named to the Hall of Fame's all 1940s decade team. But uh, one of my favorite stories about Charlie Trippi is how he was recruited uh, kind of stealthily, that he was a great baseball player. He played at the University of Georgia football and baseball. And then, like most young men at the time, went into World War II, uh, was in the service And because of relaxed rules, he actually participated in the college all-star game five times. Uh, They're trying to get players uh, involved on both sides. So that accounts the uh, year he played with the Cardinals, but also with Georgia and also with the, uh, with the military service. Uh, But when it came time for his class to graduate, even though the Cardinals had drafted him in 1945, uh, Charles Bidwell, the owner of the team really stalked Charlie Trippi. And they made an arrangement that he would sign for the, with the Cardinals, kind of as the first bonus baby. A whopping $100,000 contract uh, was Trippies. But they played a little bit of an indiscreet game since he was also being recruited by the tandem of the New York Yankees baseball team and the New York Yankees football team. And went to New York, and unknown to both of the Yankees team, Bidwell was with him, kind of hiding out in the background. And the Yankees both thought they had Trippy signed up. And lo and behold, it's announced that Charlie Trippy would become a member of the Chicago Cardinals back in 1947. And he was kind of the final piece of the dream backfield for the Cardinals that year. Uh, they had four All-Americans, which was Trippy, Pat Harder of Wisconsin, Paul Christman of Missouri, Marshall Goldberg of Pittsburgh, and then Goldberg went over to defense during the year, and Elmer Angsman of Notre Dame took his spot on offense. But Trippi was the final piece in 47 and wore that number 62 for a few years with the Cardinals and uh, made us proud wearing that jersey as a member of the NFL champion Cardinals back in 1947. 
Wow. So, okay. So the, the thing with Bidwell, that was sort of pre-planned by Bidwell. Do you think Trippy was aware of that too, that Bidwell was in his entourage? Yeah, he was aware of it. They went over this uh, pretty carefully uh, together. Um, in fact, Bidwell, Trippy wanted to sign with the Cardinals earlier and Bidwell said, well, let's see what they offer. And that way, you know that our offer is fair, which it was very fair. No one had been paid that kind of money in the NFL before. Well, maybe Red Grange, but this came from a variety of sources back in 1925. So, yeah, it was uh, it was quite interesting. And Trippy did continue with a minor league baseball career as well with the Atlanta Crackers of all teams, as well as playing with the Cardinals. But he definitely was in on the, the charade, so to speak, with Mr. Huh. Redwell. Very, I learned something new every time I talk to you, Joe. That's that's fascinating. That's a, a new uh, twist on that story that I thought I knew. So great. Thank you for that. Sure. So, yeah, I think uh, Charlie Trippy was just uh, he's just one of those names in, in history that uh, in history of football that just jump right out at you. And what an exciting player he must have been to watch. Uh just the, I wish, I wish we had more stats on him, but uh, just the stats we do have are just, you know, astounding for the era, you know, the, uh, yeah, a real triple threat. And the wonderful thing about it is Charlie Trippy is still with us today at age 99. Really? Oh, I didn't know that either. So yeah. hmm. now have you ever got a chance to, to speak with him? Yeah, I did interview him for my book when football was football years ago, and we talked on the phone a few times. I got to meet him twice in person, just a real gracious gentleman and very helpful with his comments and very honest with them as well. So I really enjoyed it. In fact, all those Cardinals were, they were really pleased that someone was finally recognizing them. And it wasn't my intent to say, oh, no one knows about the Cardinals. People did, but there had not been any full-length uh, documentation done about their championship year. So uh, he was just one of those guys that was very helpful in my research and well as for answering questions and uncovering what might be under some of those NFL rocks. Wow. I mean, nothing better than getting it right from the source. Great job. Yes. Great job on the research. Okay. I, I think uh, I think we're definitely uh, in agreement that uh, Charlie Trippy goes on to our, our list tonight. Yeah. Okay, so he, he's our first one. Now, uh, did you want to talk about Jim Langer, too, while we're on the Hall of Famer? Yeah, Jim Langer, our other Hall of Famer, went in on the first year of eligibility in 1987. He was undrafted and played at South Dakota State. You wonder, how does a guy from South Dakota State get to the Hall of Fame? Well, when he finally got on the, uh, on the roster, uh, became a six-time Pro Bowler. Uh, he was on the all 1970s decade team. Uh, just a, a tough, tough player. Uh, became the starter at center for the Dolphins in 72 and then played 128 consecutive games for, for the team, including a two Super Bowl victories. So um, I would uh, very strongly recommend he be on our list. In fact, I, I got a kick out of finding that he uh, has an award named after him, the Jim Langer Award, of all things. That's given to the nation's top Division II lineman each year uh, in his honor. So well-deserving for Jim Langer, and I think he deserves to be on our list tonight as well. Uh, I agree. When you're uh, on the undefeated uh, Dolphins team, I think uh, you, you got to make that, and you're snapping to some uh, great quarterbacks here with Greasy and uh, Earl Morrill. That's uh, that's 
pretty big job there. And I think you're, you're right. He deserves to be on there. So he is our second spot of our top 10 greatest number 62s. Now, I, I think in, in talking earlier, uh, you wanted to tell us uh, about a couple other gentlemen that uh, take us on a little trip down memory lane here. Yeah, we found some players who have relatives in the NFL as well. So I'm not sure if these three folks will make our list tonight, but they had outstanding careers themselves. And I'll start with, with Ted Karras Jr., Alex Karras' brother. Uh, his son also played in the NFL with the Redskins, but uh, he only wore the number one season, although a number 62 although he was nine years in the National Football League with the Steelers, Bears, Lions, and Rams. Uh, so he, he would be the first of our siblings that I wanted to chat about tonight. Uh, the second player is Palmer Pyle. His brother Mike was a uh, mainstay on the line for the Chicago Bears for many years, although uh, William Palmer Pyle, uh, he played six seasons for the Colts and the Vikings and also for the Raiders in the American Football League. But he has a wonderful backstory. It's one of those things that you're only going to hear on the Pigskin Dispatch. His <laughs> father-in-law was Tony Arcata, the mob boss of Chicago, who started out working for El Capone, uh, was a, a soldier during those uh, turf wars in the 20s and 30s, eventually took over the mob. Uh, the marriage did not last, but he, uh, he, he married Tony's daughter, Marie. Uh, so I thought that was quite an interesting story. And somewhere in there is uh, Eric Kumaro and uh, Jake Kumaro, who also were related and also played in the NFL as well. Hmm. And the final of the, of the siblings is... Uh, Brian Baldinger, if I pronounce that correctly, uh, he was a lineman, uh, played for the Cowboys, Colts, the Bills, and the Eagles. He had two brothers who also played in the league, and later on, he worked for both Fox and Compass Media. Was in the league for 11 years, wearing number 62, uh, guard and center for those teams, and uh, a great player as well as a great broadcaster. So again, I'm not sure if I'll put, maybe Brian would be on the list, but there's a whole other bunch of other guys that uh, we may want to talk about before then. Yeah. The Baldinger, I think still works uh, for NFL network. I believe. I believe he does. Yeah. I think he, yeah. he's under quite a bit, especially during the season with the, he has some great insight. And I, and I do have one other brother. I just noticed, which is Jay Hilgenberg and Jay played with the bears uh, for many, many years, 13 years. He may not qualify for our list tonight, Darren, because the only wore number 62 for one year, at the end of his career, he went to Cleveland and uh, New Orleans. He, when he played for Cleveland, he wore number 63. But he made uh, seven Pro Bowls, was all pro seven times, and, was, of course, was the center on the Bears Super Bowl team for the 85-86 season. His dad played uh, at Iowa, where he was an All-American, and his uncle played for the Vikings. His brother, um, Wally, uh, played with the Saints. So we had four players who wore number 62 who have some family dynasties in the National Football League tonight. Well, I'll tell you what, your research is impeccable and you are, have an eye for uh, that kind of things. So I'm glad you, you told us about them. We'd love to have those family connections. 
Uh, Jeremy McFarland, our, our uh, associate on the Sports History Network, uh, football is family. He'd really be thrilled to hear when he hears this. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right up his alley. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure if any of them will make it. I know I, I talked, uh, we did the uh, jersey number 63, uh, which actually came out before this episode. Uh, we, he ended up being on our list in the number 63s. So for Hilgenberg. So great, great player. Not sure if he's, I mean, we got some good, good people to talk about here. And like you said, it might hurt him just a little bit because he only had it for a season or two. We're in a 62. It was just one season. But, um, hey, Darren, do you know we have a guy in the list who was also a champion wrestler, pro wrestler? No, no, we need this to hear a, about him too. This is a guy named Edward McDaniel and better known as Wahoo McDaniel. I was going to put a list together of the best nicknames for tonight. Lynn Dawson, the quarterback of the Chiefs, said that the hardest hit I ever received was uh, on the football field was by Wahoo McDaniel. And uh, he was around the league for several years. When he retired, became a full-time wrestler. And he was also a Native American. So uh, Wahoo, again, even though he's in the league from 60 through 68, not sure if he'll make our list tonight, but what a colorful career, both on the football field and in the wrestling rink where he became the NWA United States heavyweight champion five times. <laughs> so it was uh, kind of a neat story that just happened to pop up when I saw that nickname. It definitely is. That's probably a great uh, episode for somebody's podcast someday to just have all the NFL players that uh, were pro wrestlers too. There's yeah. quite a handful of them and a lot of good ones too. So that's interesting. All right. Um, do you have any, anything else to add on some of these uh, connections and uh, interesting uh, well, stories? Let's go with one more strange story. This gentleman's name was Jim Hayes, born in 1940, or number 62, uh, played for the Vikings, Charleston Rockets, the Houston Oilers. He was on the fringe, but was neat about uh, Mr. Hayes was in 1971, he admitted that he was 42 years old which means he uh, got a few years in uh, practice when he kind of said he was right out of college and he wasn't. But it's neat, that sort of thing with all the very specific and strenuous scouting that's done today, you're not going to find a guy who's going to tell us he's actually maybe uh, 10 or 11 years older than he really is. So uh, (laughs) that's Jim Hayes. Not going to be on our list, I don't think, Darren, but uh, another interesting story. But I love the last name, though. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you. I wonder where I saw that name before. <laughs> I don't know if I like the insinuations that were with it. I don't lose connection there with them there. But uh, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, th- thank you for those information. That's, that's some great uh, little backstories there. I'd uh, love to hear that kind of stuff. That's, you, you're right. You don't hear that anyplace else, but from Josie Emba. Those are some classics there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how about we talk about some of these substantial number 62s, guys that uh, have a shot at making this list? Yeah, we have several, I think. And uh, if you want, I can start out with Todd McClure, a center. Sure. Yeah, from 2000 to 2012 with Atlanta. He played 198 games, all with number 62. And he was a starter from the year 2000 to the year 2012. So uh, just a very reliable and versatile player. And I think we should consider him 
of someone who every year starts after his rookie year started and played every single snap almost. So that was McClure. Yeah, definitely uh, an Iron Man. Only had a couple seasons where he missed a few games. Uh, yeah, definitely in, under consideration. I don't know if I'd put him on yet because there we've got some guys that have uh, a little bit more with the Pro Bowls and the All Pros and some championships, uh, yeah. which is helpful because it's it's hard. Uh, I was talking with Warren Rogan the other night, and it's hard with these, uh, especially offense alignment, because there's not really some any good stats, especially from the earlier years, like. Right. Pre 1990, uh, to find it. Now, here's somebody that played in the, the 2000s. It's hard to find good numbers for them. Yeah. Yeah. To help compare them to, to their peers. I guess it helps if they were named an all pro and doesn't have to be a pro bowler. But if you can look in and find out where someone perhaps made some kind of magazine's all pro team that looks like they're getting some kind of recognition. Now, for example, Jerry Fontenot. Uh, played with the Bears in New Orleans and Cincinnati from 89 through 2004. Um, I didn't find him making any all-pro teams, but the 239 games he played still ranks 76th all-time in the National Football League. 239 wow. games for linemen. So he might be considered for our, our list tonight, but doesn't have those glaring or outstanding stats and all pro recognition. Just again, another reliable guy who started every single game for the majority of his career in the middle of the line. And uh, another player who just uh, probably didn't get the recognition he should have. Yes. But I mean, that's, and that's a pretty modern uh, name too. I mean, 16 seasons as an interior offense alignment in the NFL. I, I, that is pretty substantial. I miss that on seeing him. And he's a big guy too, three hundred pounder. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, wow, that's a that's a really long career. I enjoy okay, well, if we can find some of these guys that that had a lot of games underneath them. Another one was Guy McIntyre, played from eighty four to ninety six, mostly with San Francisco, and he was a five time Pro Bowler, um, guard, uh, played one hundred eighty six games and. Also played other positions. For example, they, they tried him at end. And I remember his coach wrote about him or said about him, the tight ends coach said, uh, if you put 88 on his chest instead of 62, he was probably a full-time tight end at 270 pounds. Uh, is it one of the more prolific blocking players at, at that position in the league? They might be bigger, but he's 270 pounds. If he gets on you, he can cause damage. So that's Guy McIntyre, who was a little bit of versatility when he would break away from his guard position and play wherever the team needed him. Yeah, and he he's one of the ones I was, was sort of referencing earlier. And when you have five Pro Bowls under your belt, three Super Bowl championships, and we're that 62-year entire career on a real nice career, uh, that that's extremely helpful to to getting on this list, and yeah. I I think probably he's one of these ones I would say probably has that uh, banner to go on the list early. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would think so as well. Okay, so I'll, we'll put him. He will be our third one on our list that's uh, on so far. Uh, who yeah, would you like to talk about next? Well, I guess uh, from the hometown, we can talk about Mark Bortz of the Chicago Bears. From 83 to 94, 
played 12 years and he wore number 62 for his entire career. He was a two-time All-Pro and, of course, was part of that 85 Super Bowl championship. Played 171 games and he still holds the Bears individual record for most playoff appearances with 13. And he was named one of the 100 greatest Chicago Bears of all time. And there are some good quotes about him, too. For example, his offensive line coach, Tony Wise, said, I'm not saying he's the toughest man in the world, but there couldn't be too many tougher. And uh, his teammate, Jay Hilgenberg, said, Bortz is tough. He's the kind of guy that if you blindside him, you might hurt yourself. And even Mike Ditka said, Mark is not awed by anybody. He plays as hard as he can, as long as he can, and he has great strength. So, uh, again, a guy who I think we should consider. He played his entire career with number 62 and has some of the hardware, being all pro and a Super Bowl champ to go along with it. Yeah, that's got some real strong uh, consideration there. I, I mean, I'm – I'm I'm fine with putting him on now if you if you'd like to. Yeah, that would be a good okay. One. Okay, so that makes uh, that's our fourth uh, gentleman on our list. And uh, who, who would you like to go to next? There's a gentleman I didn't know much about him. Um, he was the first one of Turkish nationality. He was born in Turkey to make the NFL. And this his name is Tunch Ali Ilkin. Uh, he played 14 years in the league except for his final year when he only played a one game with Green Bay. He wore number 62. He was twice all pro. He played tackle, guard, and center uh, for Pittsburgh. And uh, 14 years as a player and 23 years as a broadcaster for the team. Unfortunately, he had to retire last year. He's battling ALS. But just a wonderful career uh, with the Steelers. And as I said, he played all but one game uh, with the team when he went to Green Bay. So um, might be considered for our for our list. There's several other good ones coming up that uh, we've yeah. been able to find as well. He he's a, a personal favorite of mine. I mean, I mean, I'm being a Steelers fan. I mean, I definitely remember him playing. But he has been such a, a great broadcaster. He broadcasted the Steelers games for 23 years, like you said. But he also, with his former line uh, lineman teammate of the Steelers, Craig Wolfley, they had a daily talk show mm. uh, where fans could call in and you listen to him, especially during the season. It was every Monday through Friday for a couple hours, and he just had to step down from that probably about in the last month because uh, of the ALS. Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of sad to see him go because him and uh, Wolfley had such a dynamic. Uh, they were you know, both uh, very strong Christian men. Uh, their, their beliefs were a good part of their show, but they just had so much fun and throwing jabs at each other and telling old <laughs> stories of, you know, Chuck Noel, you know, doing you know everything to them till the cows come home and, uh, and them just uh, enjoying it. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you've been playing against you know, some of those uh, 1970s uh, era defenders that, that were still on the Steelers when they came in the league in the, the early eighties. It's just a really enjoyable stories. And I'm really going to miss uh, hearing him every day, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, great memories of Tunch Oaken, great player and even better person. And we will, our thoughts and prayers are with him. Hopefully he'll be able to beat this and uh, return to action. I hope so. I hope so. Okay. So we'll, we'll put him on a standby mode here. Okay. I don't think, I don't think we're, we're sold on him yet. 
But uh, I have another uh, another player who's a current player, also has a brother in the league, which is uh, Jason Kelsey, the center for the uh, Eagles right now. He's played 142 games up to this point with the Eagles and 142 starts, four times uh, pro bowler. His older brother, uh, Travis, of course, plays for Kansas City. So might be a consideration. He's still in the middle of his career. Uh, hopefully has many years to go, but uh, some impressive stats when you think he's started every single game he's played in the NFL. Yeah, he he's another one that sort of, I mean, jumps right off the page at you when you look at these guys, you know, three all-pro seasons. Uh, that, that's pretty substantial, uh, mm-hmm. especially in this, this era of having 32 teams and, you know, playing the amount of games that he has in, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, not even a, a full career yet. He, he's, what, nine, right. nine seasons in there and he's still going strong. I, I would be, a, he'd be another one that I would put under consideration if you're okay of putting him on the list now. Cause yeah, I think he is. We talk mostly about players who've been around or in the past, but we have one who's in, in the right in the middle of a very dynamic career. So it'd be great to consider him. Right. Even if that, even if he didn't play another game, he would definitely be one under yes. consideration to jump right off at you. So yeah, good, good pick there. So that's, that takes us, that's our fifth uh, player that we put on the list so far. We've got a, a, another another player, Casey Wiegman, who's, at least from what we can determine in our research, has worn the number 62 the most most seasons. That would be 16 years. Uh, played with the Bears, the Jets, uh, Kansas, Denver. He started every game the last 11 years in the league. He started 97 through uh, 2011. And we had talked about how the linemen sometimes don't get recognized. He did have one all-pro season or one Pro Bowl. But USA Today at one time had named him to their all-Joe team for five consecutive years, which is dedicated to blue-collar players who don't get recognized but certainly deserve to be uh, recognized. And at one time, this statistic goes back to 2007, he had uh, snapped the ball 5,340 straight plays uh, for, uh, for while he was in the league. I think at that time he was with Kansas City. So, uh, again, another durable player, not quite recognized as much as he should, but never took a day off, never took a playoff. Yeah, I think uh, definitely he – I remember him him playing too and, you know, the – the uh, Pro Bowl, I think that definitely puts them into consideration. Maybe talk about at the end as a candidate, unless yeah. you think otherwise. No, he. I think should be under consideration. Yeah, okay, I think he deserves it. Okay. And do you have, you have anybody else you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I have a couple more alignment, uh, which have some nice statistics again. A guard, Marco Rivera, three-time Pro Bowler. Uh, Started the last nine years in the league. He began in 97 with Green Bay and finished in 2006 with Dallas. Um, Started a right guard. Never missed a game uh, that he was in. Started every single game the last nine years. And it's hard to believe, but in 2002, I believe it was, he was the first Packer lineman to be named to the all-pro team in like 20 years, which – Really seemed a little odd at the time when I when I saw that about him. So um, his offensive line coach Larry Bigtoll said uh, about him that Rivera 
might be the toughest guy in the National Football League. He's just an old throwback. He doesn't win every down, but he wins more than his fair share. And then he added, it's hard for me to believe that the Green Bay Packers could go this long, 20 years, without having a Pro Bowl offensive lineman. Seems to me somebody was being overlooked. So uh, a nice compliment from this coach. <laughs> yeah, and that probably wasn't the easiest uh, to be a, a pass blocker in a Brett Favre offense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, when you bring that up, right, yes. <laughs> that guy did played some uh, – very uh, unique styles of, of ball sometimes and uh, not the, the normal uh, pattern of a passer. So very successful though. Very successful. But yeah, I, I like, uh, I like him too, Rivera. And I think he's another one that's got some strong consideration with those pro bowls that uh, maybe we'll, we'll get to back to on the end here. Yeah. One other that I would recommend for our list and uh, he played linebacker and guard. And it was with the Cardinals, starting with the old Chicago Cardinals in 58 and concluding in 67 with the St. Louis Cardinals. Of course, the Cardinals moved to St. Louis in March of 1960. Uh, he wore number uh, 62, 10 years, made three Pro Bowls. He was also the team MVP in 1961. Also spent some time in Canada before he made the NFL. And when he did make the Pro Bowl, one of the three in 66, he was the MVP of the 1966 Pro Bowl, which I didn't know. Uh, one of the PR people from the Cardinals said that Dale Minert uh, did everything except uh, play in slow motion. He walked and talked slowly, but when he got on that field, he was a blur of energy. And teammate Jerry Stovall said Dale Minert, in my opinion, is the most underrated linebacker in the league ranking with Dick Butkus, Ray Nitschke, or anybody else. So uh, Dale Minert uh, from the Chicago and St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I, but I started looking at this list uh, about a week ago and knew that you were going to be on here. I have stars all by his name. I said, oh, boy, this is going to be one that Joe's going to be bringing up. But I'm surprised. Uh, I thought he would be you know, sort of out of the gate here for you. But uh, that's right in your wheelhouse. But I, I agree. And I think he is that uh, substantial of a player that I would probably put him on the list right away, too, because I think mm -hmm. he's one that I think is good. So he'll, that'll take us up to, to six on our list so far with yeah. a lot of uh, good candidates uh, out there, too, that we've discussed. Okay. Yeah, I uh, do have a couple, three others that, uh, sure. again, might be, uh, might be there, might not be. One I'd like to mention is Dan Jiggett, so the Chicago Bears. Probably not a candidate for the list, but he was on the team for, for seven years and is still involved in broadcasting in Chicago or that number 62 for all seven years. But he played for Harvard and then went to the NFL after turning down Ohio State. And then uh, we have a gentleman, uh, Don Masick, center and guard for San Diego for his entire career from 76 to 89. Wore number 62 for uh, 14 years. Um, he was on the all-rookie team, but that really is the only all-league recognition he received, although he only missed eight starts in his entire long career. And from 81 through 83, the offensive line that he anchored allowed the fewest sacks on per-passing attempt in the National Football League. 
The Chargers rewarded him by naming him to their Team Hall of Fame in 2004. When he retired, he was the uh, number five all-time in games played for the Chargers. So that was Don Masick uh, from the Chargers. All right, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting. I didn't didn't have him on there, but that's a that's a definitely an interesting story on him. Uh, yeah, he might be a possibility. Yeah, definitely, definitely could be a possibility on that. Okay, uh, you said you had a, a couple more too, or a couple more? Yeah, Chris okay. Gray, a guard for Seattle, drafted by the Dolphins, but uh, went over to the Seahawks. Instead of franchise, or he still has the franchise record for consecutive starts with 121. And he's wow. ninth in the league in the team history with 145 total games. Uh, when he was on that uh, line, they made five consecutive playoff appearances. Couldn't find any uh, Pro Bowls or all pro seasons, but just another reliable guy. And of course, when you have 121 consecutive starts, that's somebody you can rely upon. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, we'll go back a few years. Uh, Sid Fournette, who uh, was born back in 32, and he was a uh, seven-year pro, wore number 62 for four years. He uh, was a versatile two-way player in college and then played tackle, guard, and end in the pros. Uh, again, couldn't see where he made any all-pro teams, but played for the Rams, Steelers, Dallas Texans, and New York Titans, and uh, made All-American in the college play uh, as a college player and played 82 games in the NFL, but didn't see him in any all-pro list. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of surprising because that's a name I recognize even. Yeah. So, hmm. Okay. Yeah, my final player up for, for suggestion again, born in the 30s, Mike Sandusky. Nine-year starter with those Steelers, who you're familiar with, wore number 62 for all nine years, made the Pro Bowl in 1960, and was All-Pro in 1962, and was a fourth-round pick back in 1957. So uh, probably uh, not the statistics we're looking for to make our list, but we've been talking about reliable linemen, and here was a guard who made nine years as a starter with the Steelers, and... Uh, had a very credible career. So yeah. I'll be quiet for a while. Uh, okay. Now <laughs> I have one that, uh, and I, I don't think uh, we mentioned him yet, but uh, he's one that maybe has a good shot. Maybe has a shot at this list. And that's Ed White. Uh, Ed White was a guard tackle, uh, played with the Minnesota Vikings, came in in 1969, played with them all the way to 1977, uh, then was with the San Diego Chargers for another eight seasons. So he had 17 seasons uh, in the league. Now, did wear 67 for, for part of that career with uh, the uh, latter part with the San Diego Chargers. But the, his first nine years, Minnesota, number 62, uh, he was an all-pro uh, four times an NFL champion, and I believe they're counting that as the the 1969 Minnesota Vikings when they won the NFL. Uh, yeah. And that, that super, I guess it really wasn't the Super Bowl yet. We know it as a Super Bowl now, but uh, they consider that the championship uh, for the Vikings of the NFL. So that that is a uh, one I think maybe has some consideration with the four Pro Bowls. Yeah, um, I like that. Yeah. The other one I had, and I don't think uh, we discussed, was Jeremy Newberry. Hmm. Uh, he is another uh, offensive lineman. They had two Pro Bowls under his belt, uh, center guard uh, 
combo there. And he played from 1999 to 2008 in the league. Uh, did miss uh, the 2006 season with a knee injury, but uh, San Francisco 49er for seven of those seasons. And then uh, one year stints with Oakland and the Chargers. So he was uh, all California in his NFL career. Uh, but uh, another guy, he had 107 starts and 120 games and two Pro Bowls. Uh, not, not sure if he'll have quite the numbers of some of the other guys we have, but mm-hmm. definitely substantial. And then Daryl Des uh, is another one that had oh, some yes. all, all pro uh, markings to him. I'm sorry, pro bowls to him. He had two pro bowls. Uh, he was another guard tackle, uh, came in with the Steelers in 58 and as probably most well-known as a New York giant. Uh, he had two stints with the Giants, a total of 10 years, and two years with the Washington franchise. And uh, just another uh, outstanding player, 104 starts, 146 games that he was suited up for, uh, North Carolina State product. So I'm not sure that, uh, that Daryl will make it, but definitely a substantial player that uh, probably we should uh, make mention of. Yeah. Do you have anybody else before we sort of go into our deliberations here? I do not, and I didn't think it would be this difficult when we're talking the majority of our players' night are linemen, but it is tough to get down to that final 10. It sure is. It's maybe even a little bit easier when you have backs and receivers that you have their stats to compare, yeah. or even defensive backs. But, yeah, this does get, get tricky. But uh, let's just review our six that we do have on the list. That's Charlie Trippy, Jim Langer, Guy McIntyre, Jason Kelsey, and Mark Bortz is who I have as our, I'm sorry, okay. and uh, Dale, Dale Minert is our sixth okay, one. Okay, good. Didn't, didn't mean to forget Dale. Um, so we have four more to choose from. Now, these are some of our, our guys that we said we wanted to come back to and talk about. Uh, Todd McClure, uh, Chris Gray, Don Masick, Casey Weigman, uh, Marco Rivera, Tunch Ilkin, Jeff Christie, uh, Daryl Des, uh, Jeremy Newberry, Ed White, uh, Jerry Fontenot, and Mike Sandusky, and I think that and uh, Dan Jiggets is who I have that we marked down. Oh, I think I got everybody. I like Casey Wigman because 16 years in the league. Uh, again, he didn't have a lot of all pros, but he was an all Joe. I'm a little, I like that. All <laughs> yeah, Joe you're, you're a little partial to that being an all <laughs> Joe, right? I, I agree with you. I think uh, Casey Weigman should be on there. So there's our seventh uh, player on our list. And I, I think you made a real convincing case for uh, Marco Rivera, too. Yeah, he had a nice career. And uh, I, and see where we have others that might be a possibility, but uh, yeah, I would like to see him on there. Three-time Pro Bowler and started every single game his last nine years. That's amazing. Right, right. I so okay. So we'll put him on as our our eighth player. So we have two more to choose from. How about Tunch? You like Tunch Dilkin? Well, I I like Tunch as a person. I don't know. I mean, I'm sitting there looking at some of these other names and man, I'd, I'd love to put them on there, but I, I think there's probably some of these other guys maybe that are uh, more worthy just from their, their playing ability and what they did. 
Um, not that Tunch was a bad player, yeah. But uh, uh, you know, he had he had two two Pro Bowls, uh, and he was a good, solid uh, player. But like I said, I, I'm trying to do it not with my heart, but with uh, you know, trying to do <laughs> it with uh, with uh, what's. I mean, I, you you know, the other one that I didn't I didn't really even consider until you spoke about him is Cherry Fontenot. Yeah, I'm looking uh, at him now, 239 games. Woo. Yeah, that's I mean that's that's a substantial player when you do something like that. Now he didn't have the uh respect of the I don't think he had any all pros, correct? Correct. Or pro yes. Bowls or all pros. Yeah. But gosh, when you, if you play 239 games as an interior lineman in the modern NFL, that that's uh all the respect in the world there, you know. And from 92 to 2003, he started every game he played. Yeah, I, I think we got we to gotta shed him some love. And uh, I, I think he needs to be on this list just for being that Iron Man and uh, hanging in there for so many years. You, you agree? I do agree, yes. Uh, okay, yes. so he is our ninth. So now we can, uh, as uh, Ed McMahon used to say, you know, set the timpani. Uh, we have our, our last candidate to go on the, our list here. Mm. We have several. Todd McClure might be a good one. Um, 198 games. I think yeah, we have Mark Bortz on there already. Yeah, McClure. I'm I'm sort of between McClure and, and Ed White. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ed Ed White just sort of, you know, he's he's got that those uh, those Pro Bowls. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, let's We're go with Ed White. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, that gives us our ten. All right. We did it. We Good did. It. That was a tough one, but yeah. But like you said, we're we're leaving people that are really good off there. You know, besides you know Tunchilkin and uh, McClure, and yeah. you know, we have some good guys under Chris Gray and Don Masek. Those great. I'd have them on my offensive line any day. That's for sure. Oh, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, um, you know, what did I guess maybe to, to close out the, the program here? Uh, what did you uh, think about? We met at the, the PFRA convention and the I don't know if that's if you've been at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in quite a while. It's been a couple of years for me. And I just couldn't believe the amount of changes and renovations they've done to that place since I was last there. Uh, maybe maybe it was maybe three or four years ago. It only seems like a couple. Yeah. But uh, what did you think about how, how they have that now? Well, I love it. It's um, it's changed over the years since I first started researching. And, and by that, I mean, when I first went there, probably in the 90s, well, yeah, it was in the 90s, that there was a little closet, and I'm thinking it's a basement, maybe it wasn't, where if you're going to do research, there was one table and you could just kind of go through stuff. And now it is so professional with its own research library. I think it's called the Wilson Library. Uh, research center. Hope I got that right. If not, I yeah, apologize. Yeah, Ralph, Ralph Wilson Research Center. Yes, You're right. Yeah. And many times you'll have to use white gloves if you're even allowed to touch anything, which is the way it should be. And just the phenomenal collection there and the professionals that are running it uh, makes you feel good about the history of pro football that's being taken very seriously. And there's a lot of us who uh, really rely on what the Hall of Fame can provide for us. So it's I, I really like what they've done. They're taking another big step with the Hall of Fame Village that's under construction, but the stadium's been improved. But 
uh, a lot of the displays and exhibits are just so well done. So it was a uh, really a lot of fun to be there and uh, to see that and to enjoy it, I guess, as well. And to be with folks like you who have like interests to talk about football and the history of football, I mean, for a very enjoyable weekend. And if anyone's listening to, they should give a, a thought to joining the professional football researchers association. It's very reasonable. And, for what you get, you have an access to questions on the forum online, uh, printed newsletter, which is more like a magazine that comes out six times a year, and probably more importantly, access to other people. If you're doing research or looking for a specific topic to get answered, somebody's probably going to know about it on there. Yeah, that, that's for sure. Uh, going, going back to the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the, the building itself, I mean, I guess the first thing that I didn't recognize the entrance because uh, the entrance used to be, you know, the famous that round uh, rotunda like building oh, with yeah. the sort of the football shape on top. And that's yeah. not the entrance anymore. And actually, where I went in, where the parking lot is now, I guess there's I, I remember the parking lot sort of being in front of that. But now it's like a freeway there. Yeah. And uh, the parking lot's <laughs> off to the side where this uh major renovations happened, but you go into this grand entrance now. And one of the first things you see there by, by the ticket counter is a hubmobile sit, sitting there. That's yeah. something that jumped right out at me. And I believe um, uh, one of one of the guys was saying that was the, uh, used to be the research uh, office that you were, you're talking about earlier is where the right. hubmobile is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the new construction around it. So yeah, that hubmobile was kind of interesting because you can almost envision George Hallis sitting on the bumper and having a beer with the boys and discussing this new pro football league 101 years ago. Yeah. Very interesting. And I, I forgot, I think it was Joe Horgan was speaking and he brought up about that, you know, the hubmobile showroom with them drinking the beer, which is something I never really thought about. Uh, it was during prohibition. So they yeah. were uh, the, the founding fathers of the NFL were sort of doing an illegal act as they did it, which makes it even kind of more uh, uh, nostalgic and interesting to me. <laughs> Hard to believe football guys would have a beer. Oh. <laughs> right. That's for sure. Well, Joe, I, I appreciate uh, your time and your uh, your wealth of knowledge that you brought into the, these jersey number 62s. And uh, uh, thank you for that once again. And we look forward to these upcoming editions of your When Football Was Football. And uh, you're, you're still working on that, that book. We're excited. We can't wait for that to come out here in the uh, in future. So, Oh, thank you. Yep. The book is coming along. The history, the early history, the forgotten history of the Bears and the Cardinals. So we're... Uh, looking forward to having that completed soon. That's excellent. That's excellent. Okay. Well, Joe, I thank you again for your time. And uh, I think we, we got you down for some no- more numbers uh, real soon. Which, uh, can't wait to hear from you there too. Well, we look forward to that. Thank you again, Darren, for having me on the program. Always fun, always enjoyable. And I always learn something from you. So thank you very much. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. 
Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. 